You're listening to RUF at UT Podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. All right, we'll be reading from John 6, 25 through 29, 47 through 51, 53 through 55, and 66 through 69. You can follow along on your bulletin or read it on the screen. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom whom he has sent. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Yeah, so welcome to RUF. If this is your first time, uh, I hope you keep coming back because it will not normally be me speaking to you. Um, I am the only intern at RUF at UT right now because Ellie Staffhouse uh, has decided to get a promotion and take, it's, it's really selfish, she's getting more pay, less work, it's, it's awful. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, so welcome to RUF. What we've been doing, if you've been with us this semester, is we're looking at John to see what the encounters that Jesus has with certain individuals and certain people groups, what those encounters can, can tell us about our relationship with different things in our lives. So we've seen Jesus interact with a, with a sexually promiscuous woman and, and what that might have to say about our shame. We've seen Jesus interact with a religious leader uh, of his era, and, and we've seen kind of what that can talk to us about, like, like our religious busyness. And so tonight, uh, the text that, that Claire just read, we're, we're going to look at this encounter that Jesus has with these people who claim to be followers of Him. Um, and I think it, what it's going to reveal to us is, is how we truly think about, view, and interact with Jesus. And so kind of the, the, the topic of the night would be Jesus and your Jesus. And so just kind of think with me here on this. Um, back in the glory days, I won't say glory, sorry, back in, in my day, Two years ago, uh, when I started working uh, with RUF at UT, I knew that I was in the place I was supposed to be because Matt Howell would make sure he, he used an office reference or quote every single sermon. And so if you're a freshman and a sophomore, I'm really sorry you never got to experience that, but now that I have the mic, I'm going to bring it back. Um, so I have two for you this evening, so get ready. Um, I did say it was from the office, right? Okay. Uh, 
And so the, the first kind of story, just to kind of set up the scripture that Claire read for us, this is kind of what's going on. In, in season eight, there's a Halloween episode called Spooked where uh, Pam is kind of talking to some of her co-workers in the break room about an experience that she had as a youth where she encountered what she thought to be a ghost. You know, she was looking in a mirror at this restaurant. There was a man dressed in black behind her. She turned around, and he was nowhere to be seen. Um, and so she's, she's this avid believer in the man in black. And that kind of, Jim is kind of listening to this, and it cuts to him, and he's like, there is no way that I married someone who believes in ghosts. Like, his idea of Pam didn't involve that information. And so the, the rest of the episode, you're kind of seeing Jim try to get her to recount and like kind of recant what she said about her belief in ghosts, and she won't. She's just like, this is who I am. And so he's kind of like faced with a decision like, like am I going to keep loving this woman who believes in ghosts? Uh, and of course he does, because he's Jim, and their relationship is the closest thing we have to perfection on TV. Um, <laughs> And so that's kind of that's what's happening in this story is that the followers of Jesus are being confronted with things that he's saying about himself and about them that are really causing them to kind of assess who they think Jesus is, what he's really come to do, and, and those things are being challenged by who, by who he is and, and what he's come to do. Uh, and he's saying all these crazy things like you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and they're just doing that blinking guy gif like, excuse me? Like, did he really just say that? Um, and, and he did. And so it leads to all of these people eventually kind of like deserting Jesus. Like it's, it says that th- this is right before, no, this is right after he fed the 5,000, which is really about 20,000 because they only counted men back then. So there were like men, women, and children that numbered about 20,000 people that were following Jesus. And after he says the things that he says, he's down to, some people think he's literally down to the twelve disciples that we know of. And so what is it that he said that was so offensive um, that he would lose like, over 99.9% of his following? So let me pray for us real quick, and then we'll look at it uh, in more depth. Uh, Lord Jesus, I have nothing to give uh, to these people tonight, but um, we have your word, and I pray that you would soften our hearts to hear it, give us ears to hear it, and eyes to see um, who you really are, and what you really want to do, and what you really want to give us tonight. Um, pray that you would be gracious and, and be pleased to do that. Amen. Yeah, so these are, these are people, right, that are convinced that this Jesus is the Holy One of God, that the prophecies are fulfilled, He's the Messiah. But, but in their minds, what their Messiah looked like was someone who was going to kind of come in uh, with this, like, big military kind of presence and like a very political agenda that he was going to overthrow the Roman government and kind of bring about this new era of peace and prosperity and flourishing for God's people. Um, And so like literally earlier in the text in John 6, they're, they're like rushing to make him king. Like they're like, this is the guy, we need to put him in power like ASAP. Um, And he flees from them. And so there's this, there's this very obvious gap between what these people want out of Jesus and what he really has come to give them. And I think the same is true for us. And so I want to look at three things tonight. I want to look at what we want from Jesus. I want to look at what Jesus came to give us. And then I want to look at how do we get the true Jesus. Um, I think this passage is going to help us understand our own hearts by looking uh, at what the followers of Jesus at this time wanted from him, because I think a lot of us are going to have some similar desires from Jesus as well. And I would also argue, I'm going to do a lot of arguing. I have the word argue in here like eight times. And I would argue that seeing Jesus as he really is helps us to see ourselves correctly too. 
to understand more about the types of people that Jesus came to save and to pursue and to love. Um, and hear me say this, like we all come to Jesus with expectations for what he's going to do for us, with desires uh, that we want fulfilled, and with ideas about who he is. I, I don't think that, like don't hear me say that that's bad. I, I think that that's inherently okay. Um, and it's natural, I think, to come, like we're created to, to, to want those things. But like Matt kind of talked about last week, if you were here, I think a lot of the things that come the most naturally to us can be the most destructive uh, and dangerous for us. And so I want to deconstruct what we want from Jesus and replace it with what he wants from us. So what do we want from Jesus? Um, I think there's two things. We want some earthly, tangible kind of like things like in this life, on this earth. Uh, And then we want some spiritual things from Jesus as well. And so we're going to look at both of those. And so first, like the earthly benefits. um, This is a funny sentence that I'm about to say, but like in verses 26 and 27, he tells him like, truly, truly, you're only following me because you've had your fill of the loaves. Basically saying like, You've seen that I can do all this awesome stuff, and you're continuing to follow me because you just want to get more things from me. And so, and I think a lot of us are the same way. And so tonight, the question that I want to pose, I guess, is like, what are your loaves? Uh, Like, what are the things that we're after uh, tangibly on earth from Jesus? I hope that everybody in this room has seen Mean Girls. Uh, if you haven't, I would not be offended if you got up and walked out to go watch it immediately. That might be that, that'd be a great way to spend your Tuesday. Uh, but if you have seen it, there's this character, and her dynamic in the story is really interesting. Her name is Regina George, right? And what's really funny about Regina George is that everyone in her high school wants to be her or wants to be like her. They want to be aligned with her socially. They want to be seen as on her side. Like, they just really want to be, like, associated with Regina George. But no one likes her, right? Like, they all hate her. Like, they have no interest in who she is as a person. But there are these things that kind of come from being aligned with Regina George that they want. And so they they weren't interested in her as a person, but they were just interested in what they could get from her. And I think a lot of us kind of are the same way with Jesus, um, that we don't really care about the relationship that we have with Him, but we care a lot about the appearance of the relationship that we have with Him. Uh, Because we think that that's going to kind of put us in the place we need to be to kind of climb socially at UT or in the Southeast, that like it kind of pays off to be a Christian in terms of your reputation and in terms of your image, in terms of being thought well of. And I think a lot of times our... Uh, loyalty to Jesus, if you will, is, is really no more than just our own pursuit of our kingdom, trying to get acceptance and approval from others. Um, so maybe it's not reputation or image. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're really tired of Jesus and, and you, you're kind of done because like, he hasn't fixed you the way you want him to yet. That, like, maybe you still struggle uh, with certain sins that you've been struggling with for years and you thought that like, when I follow Jesus, he's going like, to fix me completely. I'll be perfect. And so maybe you're striving for perfection, not like holiness or obedience, but you just want to be perfect. Like, you don't necessarily want grace. You just want to not need it. Like, I think we, we're, sometimes we use Jesus in Christianity so that we can get out from under Jesus in Christianity, if that makes sense. Uh, and I think a lot of times we're tired of, of Christianity because we're just not changing the way that we want to. Uh, we're not fixed the way that we think we need to be. And we're kind of tired that Jesus hasn't done it. Uh, Maybe it's a relationship, right? Like you're a junior or a senior. uh, And maybe you're not asking too much. Like you don't want to be married now or maybe even like right out of college, but like you'd want some options maybe. Uh, Like 
I'm doing everything right. Uh, I'm going to church and I'm going to RUF. Uh, I'm, I'm saving myself. You know, can he just like go ahead and give me this person already? And we're seeing these people that are like worse than us morally, going out and being like super promiscuous, and like they're getting the happily ever after that we think we deserve, right? Um, and I think that like a lot of times we're using our worship of Jesus and we're going to things like church and RUF because we think that that's my, that, that might be where we find that person, right? So we're actually like using Jesus as a way to get to what we think is going to ultimately satisfy us, which is just romance and love and companionship. Not that any of these things are bad things, but that we're using Jesus to get these things instead of getting himself. Um, and I think that a lot of us have probably had times in our lives where we've kind of gotten our fill of these things. Like we really have tasted what it's like to kind of get what you want out of life. And there's been seasons where you can say that that's kind of true for you. Um, but like for, for how long, right? Like, like how long did you stay satisfied by that? Because um, usually when we get something, there's always something else to get. Or, or if you get maybe that reputation or image, there's always someone with a better one, you know? Or maybe if you finally get that relationship, it's, it, it doesn't... It doesn't like fix all your problems and make you happy all the time like you thought it would. Um, and so we're still empty. We're still left wanting because these things, they change. They fluctuate, right? Like they're, they're not like constant. They're not sure. Um, and so Jesus calls these things perishable, right? He's like, don't work for the food that perishes. Um, I don't like Christian music. Like I think 90% of it is like really bad. Uh, not necessarily what, sometimes it's what they're saying. Not, not always. I think it's just bad music. Uh, and this is a conversation for another time, but Christians should be making the best music out there. Again, another conversation for another time. But there's, there's a band that I think does it really well. You, you may not like them, but they're called My Epic, and they have a line in one of their songs that I've always loved that says, there are a thousand joys that show me home, but they never let me stay. And I think that's what a lot of these things that we want from Jesus do for us. They give us home for a little while, but then they kick you out. You need more. You have to do something else. They never let you stay. So maybe you're not concerned with kind of these earthly tangible benefits. You know that Jesus is not a vending machine. Uh, you don't believe Joel Osteen. And you're here because of like the spiritual things, right? Like I, I, think a lot of in this, uh, I think a lot of us in this room are probably like these people. We're asking questions like, what do I need to be doing to do the works of God? Like we're concerned with pleasing Him um, and following Him well. And these people are too. Um, <laughs> But I want to look at like the motive, and I think Jesus can like discern kind of why they're asking this. Uh, and I'm stealing this from Elliot Cherry, who's a pastor in Nashville. Um, it's kind of like they're sitting there with their notebook, like asking Jesus, like, "All right, like, what do we have to be do? What do we have to do to be doing the works of God?" And they're just like waiting, as if as if they could do the things that Jesus says, right? Like as if Jesus is going to say these things, and they're like, "Oh, I can go do that." And it makes me think of this movie that I've actually never seen. Uh, I, I think I think I got this quote from a trailer. Like, I mean, this came out. It's called School for Scoundrels. Has anyone seen that movie? Nice. I heard it's bad. So, oh, nice, sweet. Uh, I heard it's bad. Don't go see it. But there's a, there's a line in the trailer that I really loved. Uh, it's Billy Bob Thornton, and he's addressing a classroom full of like kind of the reject nerd types, and he asks him a question. He says, "How many of you in here own a self help book?" And like half the room kind of like half-heartedly raises their hand. And he says, that's your first problem. You can't help yourself because yourself sucks. <laughs> and I think that Jesus is kind of saying the same thing to us. But in a way more tender and compassionate way. He's saying, he's saying you, really, you really think that you can, 
that you can please God on your own, with your own life, that I could just give you a five-step plan and that that's going to do it for you. Um, yeah, and uh, he doesn't give them that. He says, you just have to believe. And they hate that. And we hate that because we can't do anything. And so everyone, like I think this is why everybody kind of starts to like leave Jesus and forget him and eventually kill him is because people hate a God that tells them that they're not good enough and that they can't please him with their own actions. Like we literally killed God because we didn't like what he had to say about us. That we couldn't please him on our own and that we needed a substitute, that we needed something. And also we don't like being told that all we have to do is believe in him to believe in Jesus. We don't like the fact that our king had to die for us. That that's, that's not like a very like powerful thing, right? That like the person we align ourselves with, like our faith is in this guy who like died this criminal's death, you know, super shameful on a cross. Um, and I think we're mad because he, did, he didn't give us this literal thing to do. Like I think these people are so wrapped up in what they were, like they were like, tell us what to do, tell us what to do. And so when he says like, eat my flesh and drink my blood, they're like, do we, like, really have to do that? Like, ha- like how, you know? And there's this movie called Patch Adams. This is a movie you should go see. Uh, it's incredible. It's got Robin Williams in it. It's about him becoming a doctor. At the beginning of the movie, though, he's in this, like, mental hospital, this mental institution, as a patient. Um, and he kind of forms a bond with one of the other patients, this guy named Arthur Mendelson, who's, like, super wacko, very crazy. Um, and Arthur's big thing is that he like walks around the, the mental institution grabbing people's hands and putting them up in front of their face. And he says, how many fingers do you see? And they're always like, four. Like, there are four fingers, Arthur. And he just like loses his stuff and like gets super angry and like doesn't understand why nobody gets it. And, and so Pat's kind of has this experience with him, this interaction. And they go through the same thing, right? Like Arthur takes his hand and says, like, Pat's like, how many fingers do you see? And Roman's like, there are four fingers, Arthur. And, and, and Arthur, uh, Arthur says like, don't look at the problem. Like, look at me. Like, you're too busy focusing on the problem to see the solution. Look at me. And so the camera kind of transitions its focus and it starts focusing on Arthur Mendelssohn's face. And, and you know, the four fingers become two or become eight. You know, he, he starts getting double vision and he says, eight. Like, I see eight fingers. And Arthur's like, yes, like, eight's a good answer. That's a great answer. And, and I think that that's kind of happening here, right? Like, like the followers of Jesus are so focused on the literal thing that he's telling them about consuming his flesh and eating his blood that they're missing the whole point, which is him. He's like, you're looking at your problem, which is how to please me, and you're not seeing the solution. You're not, you're not seeing me. And we grumble, and, and we, we get upset because we are too focused. Um, yeah, we're too focused on what we need to do. Um, I was a moody and emotional teenager uh, in junior high. I never really, like, stopped being one. And... Uh, much like y'all at this stage, I read John Green novels, you know. We, did, we didn't have The Fall in Our Stars. We had this book called Looking for Alaska that changed my life. Uh, I remember reading it in my mom's car, listening to The Academy Is, thinking about how hard my life was. Um, but in this book, in this book, there's a story that, that has always stuck with me, and it's been 13 years since I read it. And it's this story about a great woman saint of this sect of Islam called Sufism. And the story, I'm not even going to try to pronounce her name. If you, if you really want to know, you can find me after. Um, and the story about this woman is that she was seen running through the streets of her hometown, carrying a torch in one hand and a bucket of water in the other. And, she, and when people asked her what, what she was doing, she says, I'm going to take this bucket of water and I'm going to pour it on the flames of hell. And I'm going to take this torch and I'm going to burn down the gates of paradise. 
so that people will not love God because of want of heaven or fear of hell, but because He is God. Um, and I think this is kind of like the essence of what Jesus is, is telling people, like to stop thinking about what you're getting out of me and just start thinking about me. Um, and so, yeah, we need to start thinking about the fact that like the God of the Bible and His Son Jesus, like they have no interest in giving us these things that we think we need or that we want to get out of life because He loves us too much to give us those things because He knows they're perishable and then they're not going to satisfy us the way we want to be. And so there are two hard questions I kind of want to pose to all of us tonight. Uh, the first is, are we just using Jesus to get to the other idols in our hearts? And the second is, have we broken the second commandment and have we made a God in our own image? Uh, I love this quote from Anne Lamott. She, uh, she's a great writer. She says, you can rest assured you've created a God in your own image when He hates all the same people you do. And I think we can kind of reword that and say, we can rest assured that we've created a God in our own image when He wants all the same things for our lives that we do. And so my argument here is that the true Jesus it is actually much better than any kind of handcrafted Jesus that you could tailor make to like serve your own desires. Um, that what He wants from us and for us is way better than the things that we're using Him to give. And so if those are kind of, that's a super long-winded explanation. I'm so sorry that the other two will not be that long. Um, if, those are what we, if, those, if that's kind of what we want from Jesus, our expectations, this is what Jesus came to give us. First, before we kind of get into his claims, I think it's important to talk about why Jesus has the authority to say the things that he's saying to us in this passage. They weren't in your bulletin. They weren't on the screen. That's my fault. But if you look at John 6, if you have your Bible or on your phone, verses 38 and 62, uh, they talk about him coming, he claims to have come from heaven, to have been somewhere before. And that is unlike any claim that any other religious leader or prophet has ever made. They were all being mouthpieces of God. And, and, and Jesus is saying, like, I've been there before. So, like, we can trust Jesus when it comes to what he says about how to please God and what he says about the kingdom of heaven because he's been there before. And so I just think that that's important for us to know. Um, and so the answer, right, of what Jesus came to give us, the answer is himself. Uh, and that's probably where you kind of like turn off and you're like, heard this a thousand times, uh, RUF is a one-trip pony. Uh, they say the same thing every week. Uh, I am done with like the ABCs and the basics of Christianity. Like give me something more. Like yeah, that's great. Like uh, Jesus came to give us himself, but like give me something more to do. Give me like the next step in the Christian life, if you will. Um, but we say the same thing every week because we need to hear the same thing every week. I think Les Newsom put it really well when he said, in Christianity, we don't praise novelty. We go with the old tried and true, and you'd be surprised how often that works. And so we need to look at the gap between what we want from God and what He wants for us. We want the bread, right? Like we want the things that He's come to give us. We want these programs. We want these ideas. We want these lists. We want these things. Um, we even may want Jesus to be the person who gives them to us, right? Like we may, be, we may want Jesus to be the one who gives us the bread of life, but like we don't, maybe we just don't want Him to be the answer. That for Him Himself to be the bread of life. Um, and yeah, Jesus is not giving us these ways to like get to God and these like ways to please God. He, he's saying like, I am the way. Like it, it really is kind of as simple as that. Like you, you just kind of have to believe in me. And, and so the life of Jesus is not this guideline of like how to live a good life. And it's not something that we can imitate or emulate. It, 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 the life of Jesus is, is simply a life raft 
that God has thrown into this ocean full of us, like these drowning sinners like, that need rescue. Um, I kept joking with Ellie earlier about how this is the sermon about everything. She would say like, uh, she would be like talking about something, I'd be like, ooh, I'm speak, uh, speaking about that on Tuesday. And, she, and then she would say something else like an hour later and say like, preach about that on Tuesday. Uh, and so it kind of became the sermon of everything. And I have a really bad, uh, I do a really bad job of talking about one thing. I'm really, really sorry. Uh, I feel like when I speak, I'm, I'm like that dude in the car who has the ox cord who instead of playing like three songs in a row, plays like 30 seconds of like 10 songs. Um, <laughs> But what's so great about preaching about who Jesus is is it really does allow you to preach about everything, right? Like, like here at RUF, we claim that Jesus is everything. Um, Tim Keller says this uh, in a book about preaching that I love. He says, I can speak from 40 years of experience as a preacher to tell you that the story of this one individual can never become repetitious. It contains the whole history of the universe, of humankind, um, and it's the only resolution of the plot lines of every one of our lives. I love that. That like Jesus as a person is the only resolution for the plot lines of every one of our lives. John 1 talks about how in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh to dwell among us. Like from the beginning of time, like the, everything's been about Jesus. He's been there since the beginning. And it's always been about what He's coming to do for us. Um, and so the question is, like, can, that, can this Jesus really satisfy us? Like, why is Jesus himself alone better than all of these earthly things that we want? And I think the answer is because the true Jesus of the Bible that we disagree with uh, and that really frustrates us gave his life for us, the people who were angry with him and frustrated with him and who eventually killed him. <laughs> and, and so what it looks like for Jesus to give us the bread of life, which is his flesh, is Him going to the cross where His flesh and His blood are poured out for us. Like, he wants the work of the cross to be our spiritual nourishment, if that makes sense. Like He wants us to rest in that. He wants us to feast on what He's done to kind of like quench that spiritual hunger, to believe in who He is and to believe what He's done. This idea of making His life our life for the song of our existence to be not our own goodness and our own accomplishments, but Jesus' goodness and His accomplishments. And especially not for the song of our lives to be about our failures and our shortcomings and the way that we've really massively screwed up, but that to change that narrative and say, like, I align myself with the life of this individual. Like, His life is my life. And I think He's better than we think He is because the life He came to bring is eternal, right? Like, it never perishes. In the midst of all the deep pain and loss and chaos that we experience, especially recently, like we have a King Jesus who stepped into the world not to take away suffering and to make our dreams come true, but to embody suffering and to take all of the punishment for sin for us so that we could enjoy Him forever in painless, beautiful existence. And so Jesus is giving us not perishable things, but this anchor in heaven. Um, and that is a God that I think we can love and that we can worship. So really quickly, how do we get what He came to give us? If He came to give us Himself, how do we get it? And I think, like, like, what would it look like for us to replace all of the things that we want from Jesus, that we think we need, that we think we deserve, and that we think we have to have, and to replace those things with Jesus Himself, simply having Jesus Himself in, those, in, in that place? Um, 
to have God before you and with you and in you rather than just to be in service to you to get what you want. And so I think we should look at Peter's response. Um, disciples are super dumb, like especially Peter. Like they say a lot of like dumb stuff and they get it wrong all the time, which is incredible because so do we. And Jesus is like, I'm aligning myself with these kind of people. Like this is who I love. Um, and so Peter's response in verse 68 and 69 is really important because he just simply has like nowhere else to go. You know, like he's kind of at the end of his rope. He has nothing else to stand on. And yeah, like what Jesus said is hard to swallow and like really offensive, but Peter didn't try to like explain it away or make it like more palatable or make it like an easier thing to kind of take. And I think, I mean, like Peter just took Jesus at his word. He's like, we've seen like you're the, you're the Messiah, like you're the Holy One of God. Like surely this must be true. Like you're the only one who has the words of eternal life. And I think that we can see because of the cross, because of signs, miracles, prophecies fulfilled, everything in Scripture, that there is no other answer other than Jesus Christ being exactly who He said He was. The Son of God, God Himself as man. And so we simply have to just put our faith in what He said to us and to believe it and to live as if that's true. And what it means to put your faith in something is like, we all, we, we all have these like, if you've been in questioning Christianity, you know this, we all have these like truths that we subscribe to, that we believe about the world, and we put our faith in those things. We're like, this is true. I'm going to like structure my life around how true this is. And, and, and that's what we're saying here is that we need to put our faith in the things that Jesus tells us, even the hard things in this passage. Um, and we have to do the hard work of receiving. Um, Elliot Cherry kind of also said this. He says, like, this is why they say it's better to give than to receive because when you give, you can say, like, I did something. Like, look at that. Like, I feel good about myself. And we're kind of all concerned with, like, what can I give God? And Jesus says, like, you can't give me anything. You just have to receive. And so can grace, can that truth be better? Um, Like, do we really want to be loved and accepted by God for who we are? Or would we rather just be loved and accepted by ourselves? Does that make sense? Like, like are, we, are we okay with grace and, and hearing God say, like, I love you for who you are. Come with me. Like, come to me with nothing. Or would we rather just be better so that we can kind of live with ourselves? You know? And so in, in William Hendrickson's commentary on John, uh, he talks about what it looks like to do the work of receiving. And he compares it uh, to the way that tree roots nourish a tree. He says, the roots of a tall oak perform a nearly unbelievable amount of work in taking water and minerals from the soil and serving them as nourishment to the tree. Nevertheless, these roots do not themselves produce these necessities, but they receive them as a gift from the ground. And so similarly, the work of faith is the work of receiving the gift of God. So we have to do the hard work of receiving. We also have to do the hard work of discerning the motives behind our faith in Jesus. Are we following Him for what we can get out of Him? Or are we following Him simply because He is God? We have to do the hard work of feasting on the right things, right? Like Jesus Christ came to give us His life for spiritual nourishment so that we would feed on that. Um, That's like uh, spiritually feeding on like tomato head whereas like feeding on your own works and your accomplishments and especially like your failures that's like eating at the taco bell and the cookout spiritually 
Which, like, I love Taco Bell and cookout, you know? Because it comes natural for us to, like, want to feed on the wrong things. For the story of our life to be our own accomplishments or our own failures. Um, So we have to do the hard work of feasting on the right things. We also have to do the hard work of continually feasting. Rankin Wilborn talked about this in one of his sermons. He's a pastor on the West Coast. Um, Really incredible. And he says that the way that we relate to Jesus needs to be similar to the way that we relate to food and to drink in the sense that you don't just drink a cup of water once and then you're hydrated for the rest of your life, right? You may be able to eat a cookout tray and be full for like at least a couple days. But like we, we have to continually come to food and drink, right, to receive nourishment. And so that's the same invitation, that we would continually come to the life of Jesus on our behalf and the gospel of God to feed us and nourish us spiritually. And so just to kind of wrap it up, uh, a hymn that I love to sing is called How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds in a Believer's Ear. Super old. Um, and one of the verses, I just realized I've had this water bottle the whole time and never drank from it. I think it's going to be like a new thing. Um, and and the, verse, the verse in that hymn that I love so much. It says, Weak is the effort of our heart, and cold our warmest thought. But when we see Thee as Thou art, we will praise Thee as we ought. And so that's the invitation tonight, to see Jesus for who He really is, what He really came to give us, instead of trying to worship this Jesus that we've kind of made in our own image. And to really trust that He is enough, and that He can satisfy us. Um, Yeah, no more work, just worship. Um, And so that's our invitation. Let me pray for us real quick and the band will come up. Lord Jesus, thank You for for Your life. Uh, Thank You for coming to earth um, and existing the way that You did. A life that all of us would shun and hate and despise. uh, But You did it so that You could secure our place in heaven with the Father. Lord, I pray that that truth would be so sweet to us that, that we would start living our lives marked by that truth. Um, that that would be more beautiful to us than all the things that we're trying to, trying to get from you. Would you be gracious to soften our hearts to that? That's in your name we pray. Amen.